On the first floor of the British Museum, in a tapered suit and Coke bottle glasses, Bertram Fletcher Robinson stood staring at artifact number 22542. It was a mummy board, a covering placed over a dead Egyptian royalty before their bodies were moved to a tomb. Its wood had been carved and painted to resemble a woman and decorated with vibrant hieroglyphs. Even in 1904, there was something about the ancient relic that Robinson couldn't put his finger on. Something magnetic. As the sun set, Robinson left the museum, unable to shake the feeling. In the days that followed, the journalist conducted research to determine who it belonged to and how it ended up in the UK. What he found was frightening. People had met terrible fates after crossing its path. They lost fortunes, became mysteriously ill, were murdered. One wandered into the desert and just vanished. Some believed it was cursed. Nearly three years later, Robinson died of a terrible fever. Six years after that, an anonymous archaeologist is said to have purchased the mummy board from the British Museum. He planned to take it to America. And some believe that on April 10, 1912, the mummy board was placed on board the RMS Titanic. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a ParCast original. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Conspiracy Theories for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. This is our second episode on the RMS Titanic. The passenger liner's state-of-the-art design earned it a reputation as an unsinkable ship. History, of course, has told a different story. Last week, we discussed the creation of the famous vessel and the passengers who set sail on its maiden voyage. Then, we took a special look at the ship's final hours, examining some of the critical errors made during its evacuation. This week, we'll look at some of the conspiracy theories surrounding the ill-fated Titanic. First, that millionaire J.P. Morgan knew the Titanic's voyage was fatal and perhaps even wanted to see it sink. Second, that the sinking of the Titanic was part of an elaborate insurance scam. And lastly, that the ship was doomed by a mummy's curse. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. 
Officially, the Titanic struck an iceberg just before midnight on April 14, 1912. A few hours later, it sank to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. More than 1,500 of the 2,200 people on board lost their lives. But some conspiracy theorists suggest the sinking of the Titanic wasn't an accident. They believe the Titanic was supposed to hit an iceberg. Which brings us to our first conspiracy theory. J.P. Morgan, the American banker and businessman, purposefully sank the Titanic to get rid of competitors on board. The late 19th century brought prosperity to the United States. It was an era known as the Gilded Age. Gilding describes the process of covering a material in a thin layer of gold, usually to hide its true nature. The phrase was coined by American writer Mark Twain to illustrate the disparity in wealth in America. While some reveled in excess, others starved. In the early 1900s, 65-year-old banking tycoon John Pierpont Morgan was by no means starving. He was known for buying companies that threatened his own and turning diverse industries into monopolies that sat in his pocket. Which was exactly what Morgan did with the cruise ship industry. In 1902, Morgan purchased White Starline, the company behind the Titanic, at the time of his death in 1913, Morgan's net worth would shake out to around $3 billion today, according to some calculations. In fact, J.P. Morgan was so wealthy that even the American government turned to him when a crisis hit. The Panic of 1907 left the United States in financial ruin. In New York City, the stock market plummeted and banks failed as people rushed to pull out their savings, and the Department of Treasury didn't know how to recuperate. J.P. Morgan did. He gathered a group of wealthy bankers and businessmen and underwrote $30 million in New York City bonds, about $800 million today, to increase the liquidity of banks and trusts. What does that mean? Essentially, Morgan and his friends bailed out the United States government. Afterward, Morgan wanted to make sure an economic crash like that never happened again. After all, his businesses relied on a thriving economy. So in November 1910, a number of Morgan's associates gathered on Jekyll Island, just off the coast of Georgia. During their secretive meeting, the men devised a plan for a privatized central bank, Today, we call it the Federal Reserve. Many viewed their proposal as unconstitutional and an unauthorized extension of power. It would remove much of the government's authority over its own economy. Unchecked, the Federal Reserve could favor private interests instead of the interest of the public. So naturally, in 1912, J.P. Morgan stood in favor of the Federal Reserve Act. But some suggest that others, like American millionaire John Jacob Astor, mining magnate Benjamin Guggenheim, and Macy's co-owner Isidore Strauss, were opposed. Where does the Titanic come into play? Well, Astor, Guggenheim, and Strauss were all on board for its maiden voyage that April. And according to an article in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Morgan was supposed to be on board the Titanic as well. But 
he mysteriously canceled his trip just a few days prior to the boat's launch, which is what has led conspiracy theorists to suggest J.P. Morgan knew it would sink. Some accounts suggest Morgan was ill and wanted to remain in France to heal, but allegedly a number of Parisians spotted him shopping for tapestries and fine art while the Titanic was at sea. That said, in 1912, Morgan was a 75-year-old man at a time when average life expectancy for a white male in the U.S. hovered around 50 years. And according to author and historian Vincent Caruso's book, The Morgans, Private International Bankers, Morgan was supposedly diagnosed with rheumatic fever in the summer of 1852. The disease led to a limp and many other complications over the course of his life. So it's possible he was feeling sick in April of 1912. But Morgan wasn't the only millionaire to cancel their plans to be on the Titanic. His good friend, chocolate magnate Milton Hershey, did as well. Officially, Milton returned home early to attend to business. He canceled weeks in advance and rebooked himself on another ship. Maybe he received a tip from Morgan, warning him of a planned sabotage. After all, the Titanic might not have even had the proper distress signals on board, and as we discussed last week, they didn't have many lifeboats. Ships like the Titanic were supposed to carry 36 distress signals, flares for officers to shoot into the sky. As it sank, the Titanic only fired eight flares, all of them white. In an emergency, red flares are used. Well, this is where the theory gets weird. Some people claim there weren't any red flares on board and that J.P. Morgan made sure of it. As we discussed last week, the watertight compartments meant to keep the Titanic afloat weren't really watertight. As the ship's owner, Morgan could have had influence over its design and more than enough money to pay an engineer for their silence. But perhaps the eeriest part of the theory is the existence of the novella The Wreck of the Titan, or Futility. It's an 1898 story by Morgan Robertson, written and published years before the Titanic was built. It details the life of John Rowland, a man who receives an opportunity to work aboard the world's largest ship, the Titan. The fictional boat is supposed to be unsinkable. Then, while crossing the Atlantic, the Titan strikes an iceberg off the coast of Newfoundland and sinks to the bottom of the ocean. There aren't enough lifeboats on board, and few survive. It's possible that J.P. Morgan read The Wreck of the Titan, and maybe it inspired Morgan to get rid of some of the enemies that stood in his way like Astor, Guggenheim, and Strauss, to ensure that the Federal Reserve Act went to Congress. Well, probably not. This theory has more than a few holes. The most glaring being, there's no evidence to suggest that Strauss, Guggenheim, and Astor actually opposed the Federal Reserve, like some suggest. In fact, According to a New York Times article from October 1911, Strauss advocated for the creation of the Federal Reserve. But that doesn't mean those men weren't competition that J.P. Morgan wanted to get rid of for other reasons. They were all millionaires. 
In all likelihood, they rubbed elbows at some point in their lives, but there's no evidence to suggest they were direct rivals. For the most part, they were in different industries. But that doesn't explain the limited safety features on board the Titanic, like the few white flares and the lack of lifeboats. Well, it's not that simple. According to National Geographic, red signal flares didn't serve as a sign for international distress until after the Titanic sank. Prior to that, any flare could mean a call for help. The Titanic's flares just weren't answered. It's true that designers cut back the number of lifeboats on the Titanic because they were considered an eyesore. But believe it or not, the Titanic carried more boats than required by the Board of Trade at the time. And Morgan might have had some hand in a few design features, but it's highly unlikely that he would have been given any say over its mechanics. Unless he paid his way to the engineering table. If he did, he didn't leave a paper trail. There's no evidence to suggest that he paid anyone more than their normal salaries. And even if J.P. Morgan wanted the Titanic to sink, the captain didn't mean to hit an iceberg, which is the only reason it sank. Captain Smith's death that day was a tragedy, not a suicide. The fact that he canceled his trip is still suspicious, but J.P. Morgan's health was in decline. Ultimately, Morgan had more to lose than gain by sinking the Titanic. If he meant to kill those men, there were more cost-efficient ways of doing it that didn't involve thousands of casualties. Which is why we're giving this theory a 2 out of 10, with 1 being the least likely and 10 being the most. It's just much too complicated of an assassination attempt. And there's no evidence to prove J.P. Morgan was that harebrained. The Titanic might not have been premeditated murder, but that doesn't mean there wasn't an insurance scam lurking beneath the surface of its untimely end. Coming up, a closer look at the Titanic's sister ship, the Olympic. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Now, back to the story. It's extremely unlikely that J.P. Morgan intended to sink the Titanic in order to kill off a group of his rivals. In 1912, Morgan's International Mercantile Marine Company was the relatively new owner of White Star Line, the cruise line company behind the Titanic. In the beginning of the 1900s, White Star Line's biggest rival was a company called Cunard Line. Together, they paved the path for a new class of cruise ship, one that focused on safety, luxury, and comfort, rather than speed. And prior to the Titanic, the White Star Line ship, the Olympic, was the largest vessel on the water. Like the Titanic, it was built by a company called Harland & Wolf, and once finished, it appeared to be a modern marvel, a resort on the water. 
In September 1911, the Olympic was on a routine trip across the Atlantic. But as it passed through the narrow channel between England and the Isle of Wight, a Royal Navy ship sailed the other direction. When the Olympic took a turn wider than the HMS Hawk expected, the two ships collided. The Olympic didn't sink, but some conspiracy theorists claim it was too damaged to continue its voyages. The force of the collision tore an enormous hole in the hull just above the waterline. Passengers who hadn't had windows before suddenly did. The damage below the waterline was apparently even worse. There was a 40-foot gash and a propeller shaft that was bent and twisted out of place. By chance, the Olympic was just a few short miles away from a Harland & Wolf maintenance yard, the same company that built the Olympic. But the necessary repairs were beyond the capabilities of their Southampton location. The Olympic needed to be taken to their Belfast facilities, where the Titanic was being constructed. In order to get the Olympic back into shape, accounts suggest that Harland and Wolf took 1,000 of the men working on the Titanic and focused their energies on the Olympic instead. The process caused delays for the Titanic. Its March 20th launch was postponed until April 10th. And the Olympic was out of service until the end of November. In total, adjusting for inflation, the loss of revenue combined with the cost of repairs cost the White Star Line around $20 million. To make matters worse, the insurance company found the Olympics crew and management at fault for the damages. They weren't going to pay for its repairs. Some conspiracy theorists argue that White Star Line's premier ship had turned into a money pit. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number two. White Star Line sent the already damaged Olympic out to sea again, relabeled as the Titanic. They planned for it to sink so they could collect insurance money, money they desperately needed. Those who support this idea say the swap wouldn't have been difficult. The designs of the two ships were nearly identical. The Olympic was 882 feet long, the Titanic was 883. The Olympic's tonnage was approximately 45,000, and the Titanic's tonnage was only slightly more. Both had four smoke funnels on top. If some shoddy repairs were made, a fresh coat of paint was slapped on, and the name Titanic was painted over Olympic, it could have fooled anyone. And as we mentioned last week, moments before the Titanic set sail, the crew was still making last-minute touches to the inside of the ship. The smell of fresh paint was in the air. It sounds underhanded and a bit unbelievable, but there's some convincing evidence behind the theory. In its original designs, the Titanic had 14 portholes in its bow. The Olympic was later seen with 16. Photographs taken at the Titanic's launch clearly show 16 portholes. The same number seen in photographs of the Olympic. And it's possible that White Star didn't want anyone there to take those pictures. When the Olympic first docked in New York in June 1911, reporters and photographers were invited to board the ship to take photos and document the historic nature of the moment. The Titanic's maiden voyage, on the other hand, received far less press, which might have been because White Star didn't want journalists there. 
The more eyes, the more likely it was that someone might notice something off about the ship. The corporation couldn't have their secret coming to light. On July 31st, 1996, retired seaman and Australian Frank Finch wrote a letter to the Northern Star. The newspaper had recently published an article about the possibility that the Titanic had been swapped. The letter recalled a story that Finch had allegedly been told by a sailor named James Fenton. Finch claimed he was a surviving crew member of the Titanic. Apparently, in 1912, Fenton had heard rumors about an insurance scam floating around White Star, but the crew didn't think much of it at the time. It wasn't until after the Titanic sank that Fenton realized what happened. Apparently, he and the other surviving members of the crew were taken aside by two men. One was an executive for White Star Line. The other was an English government official. The crew members were then read what he called the Official Secrets Act, which essentially told them that if they didn't keep quiet about the insurance fraud, they'd serve 20 years in jail. Frank Finch wrote that James Fenton only shared the information on his deathbed. The story is pretty incriminating. If it were true. Authors Steve Hall and Bruce Beveridge followed up on Fenton's claims. They found no record of anyone by that name ever being on board the Titanic. He wasn't listed on the ship's manifest or any of the survivor lists. Which could be because he knew too much. Or because he didn't exist. The letter isn't the only questionable evidence in this theory. The discrepancy in windows? While plans for the Titanic did originally show 14 windows, two were added during construction to provide more light and air to the crew's galley. And while the Titanic and the Olympic may appear identical to the untrained eye, there were smaller details that made them different. Carpeting, wall colors, even the gates around the elevators were different. Some of the Titanic's passengers had already sailed on the Olympic. Surely someone would have picked up on the fact that they had been on this ship before. And if White Star made all those changes to the Olympic, it would have been expensive and difficult, especially in the amount of time that they had. But maybe it was worth it for the payoff they were about to receive? I don't think so. The Titanic was insured for $5 million, less than it cost to construct. It would have only made a dent in White Star's debt. And if that came at the cost of thousands of people's lives, it simply doesn't make sense. Agreed. There were photographs taken of the Titanic. There were members of the press at the launch. It's just that the Titanic's launch wasn't as historic. The only reason the Titanic is more famous than the Olympic is because it sank. And all of the photos taken before the Titanic set sail have been scrutinized. Besides the windows, which we've already debunked, nobody has found reason to believe the ship wasn't the Titanic. It's all a little far-fetched. I agree. This theory is another two out of ten. Fascinating, but highly unlikely. More likely than not, nobody living planned for the Titanic to sink. But... Perhaps something dead did. Coming up, the curse of the unlucky mummy strikes the Titanic. Now, back to the story. 
Some conspiracy theorists believe that the Titanic was swapped with its sister ship, the Olympic, as part of an insurance fraud scam. For many reasons, we don't think the theory holds much water. One of them being, the insurance payoff wasn't worth losing so many lives. But it wasn't just lives that were lost. There were a number of valuable items on board the Titanic when it sank. Famously, the diamond now known as the Heart of the Ocean, which became a plotline in James Cameron's fictional 1997 film. But another item is at the center of our final conspiracy theory. An ancient artifact, often referred to as the Unlucky Mummy, cursed one of the ship's passengers and took the Titanic down with them. The theory was first popularized after the Washington Post published an article in May of 1912, one month after the Titanic sank. It was titled, Ghost of the Titanic, Vengeance of Hoodoo Mummy Followed Man Who Wrote Its History. It told the story of a 62-year-old journalist named William Stead. In 1912, Stead was invited to America by President William Taft. Taft wanted him to deliver a speech at a peace conference. At the time, there were rumors that Stead might be in consideration for the Nobel Prize. All of Stead's accommodations would be paid for, which included travel aboard the new ship, the Titanic. Apparently, on the night of April 12th, two days into the Titanic's journey and two days before it sank, Stead divulged a story about an ancient relic that he had come into contact with at the British Museum. It was a mummy board. Stead told a captive audience that the mummy board belonged to the Princess of Amun-Ra, a member of the royalty from the ancient city of Thebes. She's believed to have lived around 950 BCE. But Stead didn't say much more that night. He was a storyteller and knew how to keep his listeners wanting more. He told the rest of the story in pieces, little by little. And each time he spoke, he drew a larger crowd. Allegedly, his tale of the unlucky mummy went something like this. In the 1860s, four recent Oxford graduates decided to take a trip down the Nile River. Their final destination was Luxor, Egypt, the location of the ancient city of Thebes. During their adventure, they came across someone selling a magnificent souvenir, a stunning, well-preserved mummy board. At the time, it wasn't unusual for tomb raiders to sell ancient artifacts for a pretty penny and one of the men paid handsomely for the tomb covering. There was no mention that there was anything wrong with it. They had no reason to believe it was anything more than what it was, a bit of history. But on their journey home, two of the four men died unexpectedly, and as far as anyone could tell, nobody knew how or why. Later, another one of the men became severely ill. He lost his means of work and was forced to live in the streets. Then the fourth man lost his entire fortune gambling and then fled his home country of England. Some retellings claim that as he did, he left the mummy board with his sister. His sister, who we'll call Sarah, became enchanted with the artifact and decided to have it photographed. When they developed the negatives, Sarah saw a woman, clear as day, staring back at her, with eyes filled with hate and a wicked smile. She'd caught a ghost on camera. 
and the photographer who took the photo died not long after. Sarah knew something wasn't right with the mummy board. According to the website Mysterious Britain, Sarah asked world-renowned clairvoyant Madame Helena Blavatsky to examine it. And Madame Blavatsky didn't have good news for Sarah. She told her that an evil spirit had attached itself to the mummy board. Blavatsky urged Sarah to get rid of it as fast as she could. Sarah listened. She gave it away, and for the next 20 years, the relic disappeared, passed on from person to person. Then, in the late 1880s, the mummy board made its way to the British Museum. Upon its arrival, one of the museum employees was critically injured trying to bring it inside. Another employee died mysteriously two days later. But after that, it remained in the British Museum under the title, The Unlucky Mummy. That was Stead's story, according to an anonymous survivor who'd allegedly heard it. Apparently, a few of the other passengers on board the Titanic believed the journalist brought the curse with him. And after four days at sea, William Stead was one of the 1,500 people who perished in the sinking of the Titanic. How true is the story? Well, William Stead was very real. He was a well-respected journalist. He had a happy and healthy family. Prior to his trip, there is no evidence to suggest that Stead was cursed. Unlike the other people in his story, Stead never had the mummy board in his possession. But his death on board the Titanic could suggest that he didn't need to be in possession of the relic to feel its effects. Shortly after the artifact first arrived at the British Museum in the late 1880s, employees reported loud moans and banging coming from the exhibit. Afterward, some believe that a nameless New York archaeologist purchased the mummy board from the museum. And he planned to bring it to America on board the Titanic. So, while Stead was telling his story, he could have been completely oblivious to the fact that the mummy board had followed him onto the ship. And according to the legend, when the Titanic started to sink, the archaeologist bribed an escaping crew member to take the mummy board on a lifeboat. It was then smuggled into the ship that rescued the Titanic's surviving passengers before being taken to New York. What was the price of replacing a human life with a cursed ancient object? We don't know. The story doesn't say. But it's just that, a story. If it held water, one of the passengers would have reported something happening. And in 1985, Charles Haas, the president of the National Titanic Historical Society, located the records to the ship's cargo manifest. He did find some very interesting objects that were stored in the vessel. Auto parts, leather, rabbit fur, a refrigerator. But no mummy board. However, the unlucky mummy's mummy board does exist. Just because it may not have sailed on the Titanic doesn't mean the rest of the story isn't possible. There are people who believe it's cursed. But according to the British Museum, since its arrival in the 1800s, the artifact has only left their possession once. In 1990, they loaned it out for a small pop-up exhibit. It was returned shortly after and hasn't moved since. You can go see it for yourself in London. Given everything... 
I feel like we can safely say the unlucky mummy is an elaborate myth around a fascinating artifact. So on a scale of 1 to 10, I give this theory a 1 out of 10. And as much as I enjoyed the tale, I'd have to agree with you. The only believable part of the story is that people were frightened by a piece of morbid history. That said, our final verdict is that the official story is the truth. The sinking of the Titanic was horrific. It's hard to look at the loss and see it as a series of accidents. As humans, we often want to rationalize the irrationals, to find meaning in tragedy or to just find something to blame. Maybe because it makes us feel like we have power over our own destiny. But maybe if the Titanic has taught us anything, it's that no matter who we are, first class, second class, or otherwise, our fate may be out of our control. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Monday with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Conspiracy Theories, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Conspiracy Theories on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Jenna Lennon, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. Mm-hmm.